This morning's sermon passage comes from Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thanks so much for worshiping with us this morning. If you haven't done so, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Here at Redeemer, we've been studying the book of Galatians for several months, and we, we've called our series Life by the Spirit. And really, at its core, we could boil the book of Galatians down to two main exhortations. One, don't return to the law of Moses or to law-keeping to earn God's salvation. And two, walk by the Spirit. Engage in this battle between the flesh and the Spirit that wages within us as God's people. And so what really is going to play out in the rest of the book of Galatians in this this last chapter is Paul, the author of Galatians, digging in and beginning to kind of flesh out and exhort the Galatians to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be people of the Spirit. And he's going to give some very particular and some very pointed words about life in the Spirit. And so if you were to just take the 10 verses that Julie just read from us in Galatians chapter 6 and just kind of bullet point out everything that Paul is saying, it's going to feel a little bit random. It's going to feel a little bit just like, I don't see the line of thought that holds this whole thing together. Um, He's going to talk about you have to bear your own load, but then he's going to say, but you need to bear other people's load. Like you just have this strange logical mismatch, it feels, of of imperatives that Paul is giving. And I think this is what what we're going to see is really what binds Galatians 6 together is the last two verses of Galatians 5. What, What binds Galatians 6 together is the last two verses of Galatians 5. So if you want to look at those, Galatians 5, 25 through 26. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So really, the exhortation is, believer in Christ, live by the Spirit, and have a right view of yourself. Believer in Christ, let the work of the Spirit reform and reshape how you relate to one another. And so I believe the way to tie these 10 verses in Galatians 6 together is this way. The work of the Spirit will engage who I am. The work of the Spirit will shape and reform who I am. Second, the work of the Spirit will engage how I approach others. The work of the Spirit will engage how we approach one another. The work of the Spirit will reform and reshape that as well. So you have these two realities working together. The work of the Spirit in a Christian and the work of the Spirit among the Christians as we relate to one another. And these exhortations, it really feels like Paul is freely bouncing between these two ideas. So I'm, what I want to do is I'm, we're going to go through these 10 verses two times. One on the work of the Spirit in us and a second time on approaching one another. So there it is. There's your big takeaway. The Holy Spirit changes us and a changed believer will engage with others differently because of the Spirit. So last week, I asked you to walk away from Galatians 5 with this takeaway. If I'm in Christ, it matters to God what my life looks like. You guys remember that? If not, let me remind you. <laughs> Take this away. If I'm in Christ... It matters to God what my life looks like. Here's what I want you to take away today from these 10 verses. If I'm in Christ, it matters to God how I engage with his people. Our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with the Spirit, is not just about me and God being cool. Flippant language on purpose, okay? It also is about me engaging God's world and people created in God's image differently because the Spirit of God dwells within me. Everybody with me? I'm just trying to put it all on the table here before we dive in. Point one, the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. Let's look at verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's preamble. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So who's Paul addressing here in Galatians chapter 6? You who are spiritual. Ah, that brings us to a question. Who are the spiritual people? Who are the spiritual people? Whatever reason, we as believers love to create hierarchies amongst ourselves. 
and we try to paint ourselves into the hierarchy to the place that makes us feel the most comfortable and unchallenged and acceptable. But let me break this to you. In the language of Galatians, you're either an enemy of God or you're spiritual. Those are your two categories. Those are two camps, okay? You're an enemy of God, lost in your trespasses and sins, following the flesh in the world with no remorse, no conviction, or no brokenness. Or you're in Christ, you've been filled with the Spirit, and here Paul is calling you spiritual. So Paul's talking to all of us who are in Christ. So I think I just messed with a bunch of you because you're like, oh, he's not even dealing with me here in chapter 6. He's dealing with the spiritual people. No, he's talking to you. So we're going to stay on the you for a minute. That's the whole first point. Then we'll come back to the one another's. So you who are spiritual. The second part of verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So spiritual people, keep watch on yourself. Verse 4, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. I think Paul is saying, You must engage your battle against the flesh and walk by the Spirit. While others may help you, you must engage. Verse 7. I think this is the crux of where this point is moving. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also Reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, what Paul is saying here is that, Christian, you're filled with the Spirit. And within you, there is now a battle going on between the flesh, the works of sin and death in fallen humanity, we talked about that last week, and the spirit, the work of God's spirit to bear the fruit of the fruits, the fruit that glorifies God within his people. And Paul says, Christian, keep watch on yourself. Walk by the Spirit, test your own work, and ask yourself this question. What am I sowing in my life? Am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the Spirit? Am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the Spirit? Now, it almost looks like spring out there. Like, just look, almost, there's a little sun, modicum of vitamin D. Like, you go out there, it's going to feel 30, but it's almost spring out there. 
And we can think about planting things, right? We can think about planting things. So if you go home and throw crabgrass in your flower bed, seeds for crabgrass in your flower bed, and then come back to me in September and say, I can't believe that roses didn't grow there. We're all going to say what? Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> because crabgrass seeds bear crabgrass. And if you wanted roses, it's not easy. It's not as simple as throwing some seeds out there. Right, Overbees? I see you guys working on the roses, okay? It's not as simple as just throwing some seeds out there, but that's the necessary first step. You got to put some, you got to plant some rose seeds. Do they even have seeds, roses? No, they don't. Okay. Well, we're just going to go with it. Let's pretend that, that God made a world where roses had seeds. And in that world, you had to put the seeds out to get the roses. So the Lord's saying this. If you sow to the flesh, what you're going to reap in your life is fleshly fruit, fleshly corruption. And if you sow to the Spirit, what you're going to reap in your life are the fruit of the Spirit that ultimately lead to everlasting So Paul's exhorting these Christians to work, to pursue the work of the Spirit in their life. So let's look back up. So so we're going to ask this question by way of application. How do I sow to the flesh? How do I sow to the Spirit? Chapter 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the works of the flesh. And so if we engage in these behaviors we're sowing to the flesh. If we contemplate and love and long for these behaviors, we're sowing to the flesh. If we inundate ourselves in a culture that celebrates these behaviors, we are sowing to the flesh. We might say it this simply. The default mode of the world we live in filled with sin and death is to sow to the flesh. The only way not to sow to the flesh is to intentionally seek to sow to the spirit. So let me add this before we talk about sowing to the spirit. None of us are 100% team flesh or 100% team spirit. The reality is our lives are sowing to both all the time. The goal would be to sow to the spirit as much as we can. Now notice, Paul doesn't say in verse 22 what the work of the spirit is. He says the fruit of the spirit. 
So the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What are the practices that sow to the Spirit? Number one, acknowledge the presence of the Spirit in us. Number two, ask for the Spirit to work in us. Number three, if, and it is, the Bible is the Word of God brought to us by the Spirit of God, then saturate our lives in the Scripture. Number four, Turn away from sin by turning toward the Lord and his word and his promises. There's a fancy Bible word for turning, it's repent. Number five, in doubt, in guilt, in fear, in shame, in brokenness, in longing, in anxiety, in hurt, cling to the promises of God and plead for the Spirit to work. Number six, what the Lord calls on his people to do, set your mind to do those things. Number seven, surround yourself with people who will speak truth and push you to the work of the Spirit. What's happening in Galatians chapter 6, is the Lord is saying through Paul to his people, we don't accidentally live by the Spirit. We don't automatically keep in step with the Spirit. But I'm calling on you, my people, to work out, work with, walk by the Spirit who dwells within you. Make it your goal in life to sow and to reap the fruit of the Spirit rather than to sow and to reap the fruit of the flesh. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Therefore, Paul continues, verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I'm speaking to everyone in this room who would call themselves child of God. Believe that the fruit of of spirit is better and yearn for it and pray for it and pursue it and long for it with all of who you 
are. And the Lord will bear fruit in due time in you, his child. What if it feels to me like flesh is winning? What if it feels to me like, like, yeah, I hear you, pastor. That sounds good, but there's just a lot of flesh. I I have two answers for you. The scriptural vision of a person separated from God is actually a vision of a person not at war. It's all flesh and no spirit. It's all flesh and no spirit. So if your life looks like works of the flesh and there's no, there's no brokenness, there's no anxiety, there's no tension, there's no longing to be different. It just is right, and I do what I want, and it works, and I am devoted to getting the next thrill however I can until the next minute. If there's no battle within, then I think scripturally we have some hard questions to ask, and Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Christ came and gave his flesh and died and rose again so that there could be forgiveness and life and spirit for people who are committed to the flesh. So if there's no battle, may this be the day that Jesus wins and you enter the war with us all. My second answer to the question Is this. If there is a battle, then that means the Spirit is working. If there is a battle, it means the Spirit is working. So let's all go to the most awful moment of the last seven days where your sin was on rabid display. Notice I didn't make that hypothetical, by the way, okay? In that, was there tension? Was there battle? Was there knowing that you ought to be different and a longing of any kind to be different? That's spirit waging war against the flesh. That means there's spirit there. And that means that that there's hope there. And that means that we can say, Lord, help me bear fruit in the spirit that glorifies you. I long for your better way. We are not judged by our present behavior. We're judged by the Savior who's working in us. But that Savior sent his Spirit to bear fruit. So Christian, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So we have to ask the question, take a look at my life my thoughts, my words, my actions, my interactions. What fruit am I reaping? And there's no answer to that question 
that should drive you away from the Lord, away from this body of believers, or into isolation. Because we all got a whole bunch of ugly fruit up in our gardens. Right? Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you just work out life with the Spirit. But he says, life with the Spirit creates a community that's radically transformed because we now are able to love one another well. So Paul is pretty clear that life by the Spirit engages how we approach one another. So second point, approaching one another. Verse 26 of chapter 5, he moves pretty quickly. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul is saying, like, like, like let's not... One barometer of our life by the Spirit is how we treat others. Chapter 6, verse 1. Life by the Spirit shapes how we approach those in their sin. Life by the Spirit shapes how we approach others in their sin. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And notice the words. Restore, meaning help him put it back together, what has been broken. And spirit of gentleness, meaning with a spirit of love and compassion and understanding that that could just as easily be you or me. Notice that it says, does not say, if anyone's caught in any sin, you are spirit who are spiritual should shame him in a spirit of condemnation. We can point out what's right and what's wrong while seeking restoration and while being gentle in our engagement. So Paul seems to think that the Spirit's presence in a people will create a culture of restoring with gentleness brokenness. What if our church was known as the place that lovingly, compassionately, caringly met people in their sin and helped them seek restoration with the Lord and in their lives? What if our pastoral engagements were known for that? What if our community groups were known for that? What if our youth ministry was known for that? What if our engagement with kids and kids' ministry was known for that? What if our parties were known for that? What if our play dates were known for a spirit of restoration and gentleness of those who are struggling with sin or in their own sin? Second, Verse 2, 
bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, textually, does bear one another's burdens just mean bear one another's sins? It minimally means that, but I think it's broader. Bear one another's burdens. Meaning, literally, help others carry the weight of their brokenness and their sin and their hardship. The suburbs have hardwired into us. I live on my 500 and, or my, my little piece of property that's measured in square feet and not acres. And you live on your little piece of property that's measured in square feet and not acres. And this little white picket fence, it's a force field. You can't cross it. Me and my mess stay over here and you and your mess stay over here. And keep your kids out of my yard. And keep your nappy crabgrass out of my well-manicured grass. But you cannot mess with, we don't, we don't do this. Like that's, that's hardwired in us in the suburbs. And Paul's saying, Christians, we who are filled with the Spirit, let's lean into and bear one another's burden. What if Paul's saying, when somebody gives you the full truckload of their struggles, we don't quickly say, while scurrying away, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. But we lean in and we listen. We lean in and we pray. We lean in and we follow up. We lean in and we encourage. We lean in and say, how can I help you? We lean in and we say, I'm sorry that this burden is so real. The Lord will walk with you and I will represent his people as we walk together through this crisis. What if Paul seems to say bear one another's burdens because you have the spirit? Third, verse six, Paul says, Share all good things with the one who teaches. This is quite uncomfortable as I stand up here teaching you. But this is one of those places in the scripture where Paul says, people of the spirit share provision with those who shepherd you and teach God's word to you. And I can say I feel, I am and feel well cared for by this congregation, but Galatians 6 says this is a way that the spirit works among a people. Fourth, verse 10. Let us do good. So then, as, the, as we have opportunity, interpret we have opportunity as the Lord placing need in front of you. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And everyone here in the original language means everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as God gives opportunity, people of the Spirit, let's be those doing good. Showing love, mercy, compassion, service, care, prayer to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially Within the household of faith, 
Let's care for one another. I just want to point out restoring from sin, bearing burdens, sharing good things with the one who teaches, doing good to everyone. It seems very clear that Paul is concerned that the Galatians who are seeking to live by the Spirit would love others well as the Spirit works through them. It seems that Paul is saying that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not just personal realities, but they shape interpersonal living. We said, let our fruits be a barometer of whether we're sowing to the flesh or to the spirit. It seems that the second point would say, let our engagements with others be a barometer of whether we're sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. So here's the takeaway question. Lord, where do I need to grow? Lord, where do I need to take these 10 verses more seriously and keep in step with your spirit.